Good morning. All right, all right. Can I move this out of the way? Man, worship guys are so picky about microphones. I don't want to get JJ upset with me. <laughs> well, my name is Josh Arnett, and uh, I am a church planner of about a year now in the northeast side of town, uh, south of Atascacita, south of Humble. Uh, we're in Houston, but we're not in Houston, so we, we get confused. If if there's a fire, then we're uh, we're in Houston, but if the cops need to get called, then we call, I think, even Katie. So it's weird. It's just a unique place. Um, if you guys are familiar where the Beltway bends up, where Summerwood, Fall Creek, Eagle Springs, maybe some larger master communities, that's where we are, right in the heart and soul of all that. Um, church planning's awesome. So... Uh, <laughs> It's been good. It's been good. Uh, I am from uh, South Louisiana. Go Tigers. All right. Good. Same response. All right. <laughs> Somebody hissing at me. What's, um, and uh, my wife went to the, to the University of Florida. All right. Good. No one else. Good. At least we're, we're even killing that. Um, we moved to Texas about seven and a half years ago, uh, seven years ago, eight years ago, something. Um, uh, I was the student pastor at First Baptist Church of Deer Park on the southeast side. And then uh, about two years ago, we decided to plant. So we started working away, moving over there. And then officially about a year and a half ago, we started our church in about eight months in or so, uh, almost a whole year. We decided that we did not know what we were doing. Um, and so we decided to relaunch, to restart our church as of this January. We went from meeting in a dance studio uh, to being overwhelmed by some amounts of people in the beginning to us not being able to handle any kind of growth because our, our structure and system was so immature and so uh, uh, not seasoned yet. So we went back to homes and just restarted the whole event, and the Lord's been blessing and blessing and blessing. Uh, I officially am going to be bivocational this fall. I tell you that because um, I'm going to have my first job other than being a pastor, which is going to be really cool, I think. Uh, I am the PE coach at Fall Creek Elementary. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate that. Appreciate that. So uh, it's going to be fun. It's going to be good in our, in our community to be able to serve and live and do life and school and everything else with the people that live right there in our neighborhood. So it's good. So uh, Lifehouse Community Church, thanks for letting me come and be a part. Uh, Russell called, asked me to... Uh, come and be a part of this preach-off, so hopefully I do well on it. Um, uh, I was supposed to come in next week, but uh, there was some family emergency with John, who was supposed to come in this morning, so uh, he called yesterday and said, hey man, anyway, you can make it, and so uh, uh, my, my people and, and our tribe is, is, has all my notes, and hopefully they do well with it this morning at Lifehouse, so uh, pray for them. Just take a moment, pray for them th- throughout this time, and um, and then we're going to journey together today. So is that cool? All right, good stuff. Grab a Bible. Let's go Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to spend just a chunk of time in Ephesians. You guys are in a Colossians study. And I want to do some setup work for what's going to happen in about like three weeks for you guys. As you begin to hear certain language that Paul writes from the church at Ephesus to the church of Colossae, I think you'll see some depths by which we talk about this morning. And, you know, Paul obviously has a large vocabulary and some things translate really well for us and some things don't translate as well. Well, this passage of scripture, you're going to see that it's going to translate all throughout the New Testament. You'll see it popping up here or there, maybe not in the exact form, but at least in the context of what we're going to talk about this morning. So I wanted to get us on on this journey, this road, that when you begin to hear these things, when Russell teaches, when someone else comes in to teach in the next couple of weeks, then you'll see um, this is what it's rooted in. This is what the whole thing revolves around is what we're going to talk about this morning. So here we are, Ephesians chapter 2, 
Paul writes to the church of Ephesus. We're going to speed through this. We're going to go through about 10 verses. I'm going to talk really, really fast. So hopefully you can, uh, you can hear it and understand. And if not, then I think there's a translator, in, a translator in the back. So hopefully we can get that done too. So here we are, Ephesians chapter two. Here's what we're going to look like. Uh, we're going to read about a, a, a half a verse, a verse or so. Stop, unpack it a little bit, talk a little bit about it. Then we're going to move forward a little bit, move forward a little bit. And next thing you know, in the next hour and a half, we'll be done with the whole 10 verses. Cool? All right, good. Y'all with me. All right, cool. Here we go. Ephesians chapter two. This is out of the ESV. Ephesians 2, 1. And it says, and. Now, now, obviously, we know when the word says and that it's a continuation of what? We're also going to do a lot of responsive stuff. So I speak and you respond. Right? So and is a continuation of what? Of the previous verses. Very good. You, you want to teach these? You guys are good. Um, of the previous verses. So we go to and. So we know it's a continuation of what he just said. And I'm going to let you guys unpack that later. Then he goes in, and the next word, he says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. And once you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of air, the spirit that is now at work, and the sons of disobedience, among whom we all lived, once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body and mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. A couple years ago, uh, I was doing a camp in Panama City Beach for some teenagers. Um, I, I really, really love teenagers. I spent lots of my life, the majority of it, um, being one, and then also serving as a student pastor with teenagers. So um, I was doing this camp, and, and Panama City Beach is like legit. I mean, you know, white uh, uh, sand and, and beautiful it's not Galveston. Let's just be honest. There's no diapers rolling up on you. And you're like, well, I don't know what this is. And then you open it and you, you don't know what you get. It's algae. Just for the record, it's algae. It's not anything else. So, um, so it's not like Galveston. So it's really pretty, really nice. And, uh, well, the good thing for us is that there was a hurricane that was brewing about four or five days out. So if you know much about what the Gulf does, that there's a big turn of waves that are coming in. So we got together as, as a group and, uh, with about 10 or 12 other student pastors and said, hey, maybe, just maybe, we should make some rules about kids going in the water. I mean, you got kids from Mississippi, and, and uh, some of these guys have never even seen water before and more or less been out of the state. Um, so so let's, let's set some parameters. So we set some parameters and said, okay, for the first day, you can't go in past your knees. Well, if, if you know how that works, then a wave is going to come in, and it's going to hit you, and it's going to go above your knee, which is okay. So we started with about a foot wave the first day. Then it grew to about three to four to five feet waves. We're talking about massive waves that are coming in on these little junior high kids. And, and there's always that one junior high kid who, uh, who, who is the guy who says, don't dare me to do this because I'll do it. So when we say knees, it really means like waist. And, uh, and then you step in and you jump in the wave. I don't know why we do that. A wave comes in. We jump over it. I don't know. I don't know, but it happens. And so, so the kids are doing that. They're having a blast and everything's good. So then the waves started getting bigger. And so they said, well, maybe we shouldn't let them go past your ankles. Well, obviously you walk in as past your ankles, but it was okay. Cause then the waves would come in and it would crash them. And, and it's weird. Cause you got those football guys that when the wave comes in, they feel like that it's their objective, like, like a wall to bust through it with a shoulder. And then they're like, what's up wave? What's up? Boom. And then they get smoked again. It's fun times. So this went on for about, about two or three days. And then on day four, day five, one of our last days there, I mean, the waves were, were, was coming in hard. The current was pulling back really, really hard. And, and so we said, hey, guys, be very careful. Don't go in past your ankles because if you do, it's going to pull you out. When you jump in there, it pulls you little by little by little. So um, on this one particular day, uh, uh, these kids got in there and uh, I'm on the beach and uh, we're throwing a, a, a baseball or football or a Frisbee or something. And so just to give you a big visual, I'm a bodybuilder. So I mean, imagine me being really thick and, and muscular. You guys with me on that one? 
All right, cool, good. So we're on the beach hanging out. And, uh, and the worst thing that happens, the worst thing you can possibly imagine happens. All these kids are just hanging out on, on, the, on the beach with the shores coming in. And, and all of a sudden, they start running in as if Jaws was just let, ju- let, let go right in the middle of, uh, of the ocean or the Gulf. And these kids start running in and, and they're screaming and crying. And um, I don't know what to do. When I was a little kid, I used to get like a hearing, like a ringing in my ear. And I thought I was a superhero. I'm not, but I thought I was like, what's that? You need some help over there. I'll be there. And so it, you know, it's just weird. And so, um, so these kids come running in and they're screaming and screaming and screaming saying, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. And so I, I, I run to them and say, what happened? And, and they said, Rebecca went out and she went a little too far. And now we can't find her. It's never a good thing to go to camp with 250 kids and come back with 249. And so I don't know what it is, like why that I think that uh, maybe I have a savior complex. I don't know. So I found the nearest telephone booth, ran through it, spun out, cape and spandex, and decided I would go get the girl. So I'm running in, and imagine, once again, lots of muscles, running through the beach, hopping over the waves that are come crushing in and crashing in. And, and so I get to a general area where she was. She was about maybe 30 yards out, and I can barely touch, and and uh, I get to where I think that she is, and, and uh, these kids, I can still hear the kids crying behind me. And so I see her, and I can barely see her, because see her head come up, and then a wave would come. And I was like, oh, there she is. So I go underwater to get off these waves, and I don't have a lot of experience in the ocean, but have a little bit, so I know how to swim against the current. And so I go, and I get her, and I, and I grab her, and she is freaking out. I mean, she is freaking out. She is screaming like a cat thrown in water, just clawing at the air. And, and I'm holding her, and I'm screaming at her, telling her, you got to stop fighting. you got to stop fighting. Just, just hang out. I'm here. Just hang out. Just be, be still. And so by that time, when the wave would come, I would have to kick my feet to keep us afloat. And, and the worst thing happened. Uh, I was kicking my feet, and I kicked one of the other kids who had already went under. And so as I'm kicking my feet, I kick another kid who went out with her that they didn't know that he was there. You know, one of those weird, surreal moments where you're like, oh my gosh, I'm in over my head. And so I have this girl who is screaming at me and I reach down as I'm getting crushed with the wave and I pick up this junior high kid and thank the Lord that he's conscious. Thank the Lord that um, he was breathing. And so I pick him up And by that time, he goes into straight panic mode. And they're clawing at the same air trying to get out. And and I'm holding them. And by that time, we got out too far to where I couldn't touch. You know those weird dilemmas where it's like, do I save us all? Or do I save me? But we all go down swinging. And I know that they're coming behind us, but it just feels like it's going to take forever. And so I, I made a very unique, weird, moral decision. And so I just pushed them underwater for a second. I just pushed them underwater. I got myself a breath. I'm hanging on them like this. And I get myself a breath just, just like a meerkat looking around, right? I get a breath and they freak out. They're underwater with this and they're freaking out. And I pick them up again. I said, you guys have got to stop. If we're going to make this, you've got to stop. And they didn't stop. But they at least made me feel good. I was at least was telling them that. Within about a minute or two, felt like forever, someone had brought a boogie board out there and, uh, and a boogie board and a surfboard. And I remember when we finally all made it back to the beach, I was absolutely exhausted. Absolutely. I remember just laying there going, I can't even walk for about five to 10 minutes of work. 
You know, we read this passage of scripture and it says, and you were dead in your sins and your trespasses. And many of us have a theology, a belief of who God is that says that you and I are out in the ocean and we're doing okay. We're barely making it. And then something happens and we have to move to a place because we've screwed up and we've made poor choices. So Jesus, now that I was doing good on my own, I now have made poor choices. So I need you, the lifesaver of all, to throw me some slack and throw me a life vest so I can grab and I can be right back doing well like I was before. And there's nothing wrong with that kind of belief other than the Bible says it's completely different than that. The world says this is the way the belief is and there's nothing wrong with that in the world's view. But for you and I that are followers and sons and daughters of God, this is what the Bible says about our condition of what sin has brought into this world to us. Here's what he says, you ready? Ephesians 2, read it through this context, ready? Grab me with this illustration. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. And once you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power and air and the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Here's what he's saying. You and I on our own, we're not okay. We're not just barely making it in the ocean, bobbing up and down when waves are coming. We're not on the ocean, on the beach, just barely getting in. And God's word says, hey, don't do that. Don't do that. We keep pushing. We get in. We get in too deep. And then we're like, oh no, now I need some help. Who can help me? Well, I heard of Jesus. Jesus, come and help me. That way I can get right back to the same place I was. The Bible says you and I were dead in sin. That's not alive. Like dead in sin. That means that we're not on top of the water just bobbing and and hoping that someone will come by and give us a little help. Maybe it's self-help. Hey man, if you learn how to swim, here's the way you can help yourself. Maybe friends, hey, let me tell you how I did this. The Bible says we're dead in sin, which means this, we're not floating. We are sunk on the bottom of the ocean with cinder blocks and chains around us and we are rotting at the bottom of the ocean. You are dead in sin. And once you once walked according to the prince of the power of this air, According to those of the sons of disobedience that you and I, given by our parents, were given this sinful nature, that which we automatically choose our way over God's way. No one has to teach us that, and we'll talk about that in a minute. No one has to walk through, give us a lesson on that. That you and I are dead in sin. You see, we had this, this illustration that we often give people, and I see it in so many problems theologically that, that we have to get out of that mindset and see what the scriptures say. Like we had this view that we're out in the ocean and we're doing okay for a while, but then when we can't do it anymore, when we can't do it anymore, it's like we raise our hand and Jesus shows up on a speedboat in Speedos, right? He shows up and he whips around and throws us a life vest and he's got this perfect beard, Oh, such envy of the beard and such good beard. He's got this great beard and big muscles and, and he throws out a life vest and he pulls us in. He hugs us and, 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 and kumbaya is playing in the background and then everything's okay. The Bible says it looks a lot different than that. But let's move forward. I want to build this and show you where we're going with this. And you once were dead in your trespasses and sins and once you once walked following the course of this world, Following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Verse three, among whom we all lived in the passions of our, excuse me, flesh, carrying out the desires of our body and the mind. And we're by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So I have a, a, a seven-year-old and a two-year-old. And uh, my seven-year-old, I absolutely love her and adore her. And she's beautiful and wonderful. Um, but when she was about two or three years old, maybe four, um, uh, she was quiet and she was in a room. So that automatically means what? 
You guys know her? Yes, exactly right. She, she's in trouble. Someone said sleep. That's cute. You don't have kids, do you? I can tell. <laughs> so I walk into a room. Now, I'm, I'm just going to preface this with this. I'm probably the worst parent ever. I'm just going to tell you that. So I walk into a room, and, um, and she has a red marker in her hand, okay? She has red marker all over her arm. She has red marker all over the wall. I walk in, an adult, hopefully an educated adult, or at least some kind of, anyway, I walk in the, into there, and I see her with a red marker, red marker, red marker on the wall. And do you know what I asked her, a four-year-old? Abby, did you write on the wall? Now, I know I know the answer to that. I don't have to ask her that. I know what just happened. But for some reason, I feel like I need to ask her that. So I asked her and said, Abby, did you write on the wall? And do you know what she told me? She looked at me as though I am the dumbest person in the world. She looks at me and goes, no. Red marker in hand, Picasso all over the wall, right? Red marker. And she looks at me and says, no. Now, I want to tell you something about my family. My wife, Stephanie, absolutely wonderful. When she was growing up, they called her Jesus' sister. I mean, just godly, sharp, everything. And then she married me. And then, you know, I balance this out. So um, we never sat down with any of our kids and said, hey, guys, I want to tell you a couple of things. Here's a little thing I'll teach you real well. Here's what happens. Here's what we do in this world. When someone, when you get busted and you know you're guilty, just say you didn't do it. It works out well. We didn't have like a lying workshop or a, a sinful seminar where it was like, hey, guys, come and learn about how to sin and sin well. We didn't do any of those things. I never sat down with her and taught her how to lie or how to sin or choose her way over God's way. I didn't have to teach her any of that. Do you see that you and I, when we were born, we were born in this nature and we quickly gravitate to that which pleases us most, that we're no longer part of, of uh, this perfect relationship with God, that we have been broken and, and, and set aside from that and that we're dead in sin, not that we can help ourselves, that only God can save us and help us. And then as a result of that, that we live out the passions of our flesh. No one has to teach you how to sin. You naturally do it, right? Like, I don't even think we have to really talk much about that because we can look at the world and go, Yep, that's right. We don't have to model that. Sebby and I don't model lying in our household. She does, but I don't. <laughs> we don't model this and say, guys, this is the way you do it. We just know that deep inside of her, what Steffi and I gave her for her first birth was a sinful nature passed down from us. That you and I are dead in sin in our trespasses once we once walked according to the prince and the power of the air that we, like the rest of mankind, were by nature children of wrath. Dude, that's some messed up news, right? Like, you don't do evangelism on the street and be like, hey, bro, you're dead in sin and your trespasses. Basically, you're a child of Satan. I mean, we don't really give that picture. But here's what's so beautiful about God's word. You ready? Check this out. Go to the next part, verse four. The desires of our body and the wrath by nature of children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Verse four, now here's the great thing. This is what I, I would think is the biggest but in the Bible. This changes everything. This is the hinge of all things. This is our condition. Look to the next part, verse four. What's it say? But who? Do you see that there's a, there's a redemptive plan with us that you and I, it never says in verse one through three that it's about what Jesus has done or who God is, but it said it's about us. Here's what we bring to the table. You and I bring our dead sin and trespasses in which we can do nothing to save ourselves. In fact, all we do is bring sin to the table. And then verse four happens and he goes, but just hold it. But God, not but you, 
But God, what's the next part say? This is good news. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love which he loved us, even while we were what? Dead in sin and our trespasses. Made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So here's what he's saying. Saying that you and I, because of our because of what we've been passed down and we gravitate and quickly live out our sinful behaviors. That we are dead in sin at the bottom of the ocean and we're not barely making it, we are dead. We are completely dead. Anybody watch The Walking Dead? You're welcome. We are dead, dead on this, the bottom of the ocean. We are rotten in our own flesh because we chose our way over God's way. The Bible says then, but God be in rich in mercy. Not because God is obligated, because God is good, because God wants to, because of his rich in mercy and he feels this, this propel to, for him to come and, and redeem his people. But God being rich in mercy sees us in that sinful condition and he does what no other religious deity has ever claimed to do. He came, lived the life to show us what it looks like in perfection and then he just didn't do that to model it he jumps in and sees us in our condition, but being rich in mercy, he dives to the depths of our sin, to the bottom of the ocean. Here's the great thing. It doesn't matter how far you've been in sin. It doesn't matter how far that depravity has brought you. You are still full of rich, in, God still has rich in mercy, love towards you. He sees us in our condition. He jumps down. He picks us up. He scoops us. He brings us up. He brings us to a safe place as the Psalm so quickly, awesomely just, just details and picks apart. He brings us to this, this safe, good place for us. And he does something that no other deity has ever claimed to do. He, kne- he kneels down and he begins to breathe new life into a dead person. You know, Paul writes, Philippians 3, that I want to know Christ and experience the power of his resurrection. Do you see that we have new life by the power of God because Christ was dead and was raised from the dead, that he causes people that are dead in sin to become and be made alive in Christ. But because of God's rich and mercy that you and I were dead in our trespasses, but because of that, we've been made alive in Christ. In Christ. Not in us, not in our works, not in what we do. In fact, he goes on to say, it's by grace you've been saved. You didn't do it. You want to know what you brought to the table? You brought sin. Congratulations. Boast in that. But God, being rich in mercy, saw us in our condition and elevated us to a new position in Christ. I'm going to move forward on this because I want you to see how he he ends this. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love which he loved us, even while we were dead in our trespasses. I'm so glad that verse is in there, that part, even while we were dead in our trespasses. Because many of us believe that God's going to love me a lot more in five years when he sees me and I do all the things I'm committed to do right now. When really God doesn't love a future version of yourself, he loves you as you are. And because he loves you and is full with grace and mercy, hopefully that propels you to live in holiness and that you're repenting of your sins. Next part. By grace, you've been saved. Verse six, and raised up with him and seated with us in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Do you see our condition? And he elevates us to a new position. You see how that fits? Verse seven, so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. So that people everywhere, your neighbors, your city, our state, the the nations will see that God is good and rich in mercy. That he saves people despite where they are. That he redeems them and brings them up and brings them into new life. Do you know what it looks like whenever you were dead in sin or when you're dead and you've been resurrected and your life has been saved and spared? Do you know what, you know what that does? We live a new life. And debt of the one who saved us. 
Verse 8. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. I think if we get that, it is the gift of God. Not a result of works that no one may boast. Verse 10. Here we are. We're going to land here, unpack this, and then, and then and pray. Verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So it's like he sets up our condition. This is who we are. This is all of us. Like no one has spares this. This is our condition. This is what Christ has done on the death of the cross and raised in, in the power of God. And now he comes and breathes the same new life into us that we're dead. Now we've been made alive in Christ. You didn't do anything to deserve it. If anything, you were at the bottom of the ocean. You can't even signal for rescue. God found you and he said, I love you and rich in mercy. And he breathes new life and you wake up and you go, I am born again. You see how that fits? See how Colossians talks about the old man, the new man? You see how this fits? You see how John... Uh, chapter three, Nicodemus and Jesus conversation about how you inherit the, the eternal life. And Jesus goes, you got to be born again. He goes, go back in my, that's just weird Jesus. And he goes, no man, born of water, born of spirit. You were born of water by coming out of your mama. And then seconds born of spirit. You got to die to your old self. You see how this fits and walk in new life. You see how this fits. All right, cool. We are now his workmanship. So he sets all that up and then he goes, now you're his workmanship. You know, there's some things in the Greek language that we see in the New Testament, in which it originally was written, that doesn't really translate that well. This is one of those words, workmanship, where for you and I, we don't really use that much in our language. Uh, maybe you do. Um, you don't want me to have a hammer or, or, or drill. I'll end up probably doing it backwards. This thing won't work. The drill just won't work. So you probably don't want me to build anything. So I don't really use the word workmanship. I don't walk outside and say, look at my new basketball goal. It's my workmanship. I don't really do that. That would be weird. I probably do do that, in fact. Um, but we don't want really to use this word workmanship. But here's what it means in the Greek. This is where we get the word poetry from. So we see this word workmanship for you are his something, workmanship. Workmanship, this is what it looks like. Well, what does that mean for us? We are his artistic expression. You see how this fits? We're dead in sin. We've been made alive in Christ. For now you are his artistic expression. That you are now a canvas that he is writing and retelling a story of redemption based upon your life. Based upon you. Based upon what Christ has done in you. And now you're no longer the same person you once were. You were dead in sin. Now you've been made alive in Christ. And now you're on display for the rest of the world to see that you are now a new person person in Jesus. Well, what's the problem? Well, here's what the problem is. The majority of Christians, the majority of us that call ourselves sons and daughters of God, we live like we're still dead in sin versus living in newness of life. Like we still live like we're dead in sin and we don't let Jesus, the great workmanship person, begin to shape us and turn us through his Holy Spirit. He begins to reveal us and say, I don't want you to do that anymore because I have better things for you. So as we turn from our sin and we start walking in a new direction, when we begin to repent and turn, guess what Jesus begins to do? He begins to shape us. Imagine it being a glob of clay. This is who you are. You are his workmanship. And as the Holy Spirit reveals to you the sins that you are committing and you turn in repentance and your community identifies that and begins to say, hey, kid, you got something going on in your life. You got to repent of this. And you go, you know what? Jesus has been telling me this and you're right. You turn away from that. It's like the Holy Spirit begins to pinch off and begin to shape you to become the artistic expression of the redeeming, redemptive God. You didn't do anything. 
We just walk in obedience to what Jesus called. For we, you, are his workmanship. So what does it look like? Well, you're dead in sin. You've been made alive in Christ. And now you've been called to be his expression and to be an outward example of what Christ has done in you. As a church, as a community, as a city, we are called to be his workmanship. Jesus speaks, we respond in obedience. The problem is many of us still live like we're dead in sin. Oh, church, may we repent. Like, really, just stop. Just turn away. Just walk like you've been called. Dead gum it. Like, let's get to a point where we go, Jesus, you've redeemed me. You saved me. You've freed new life into me. Forget my insecurities. I'm going to live in a way that brings honor and glory to you so that people will see that I'm no longer in sin. I've been, I've been dead in sin, but you've made me alive in Christ. In fact, Paul continues to write this letter and he goes on chapter two, goes into chapter three, and he says that we are the manifold wisdom of God. That means the church is the visible expression of God. Walk a new life of Christ. Amen, amen, amen. All right, let's pray.